0: podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. Did
1: a film from 1985 inspire a 21st century musician? The 1980s never say die.
0: Once again, it's time for the 80s. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. You know it's a dirty lie, (laughs) though.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture. My name is Will, and joining me as always is my friend and my co-host, Ray, what's up? Oh, man, that's a, is, that's a 90s reference, right? I don't know. What would be the equivalent to the 80s, though? I don't know. We didn't really have a... I don't know. Is that 90s or 80s? That was definitely 90s. Are you sure? Maybe 2000s
0: even. No, it's probably 90s. Because I could have swore that was an 80s Super Bowl. Now yeah. I'm going to have to cut all this out so you sound like you know about the 80s. Uh, you know I don't give a shit. if I know what I'm
1: talking yeah. about. Well, I think like what's happening, uh, you know, they'd be like, hey, what, what was it Roger would say or, you know... <laughs> what's happening? I think. No, no, no. It was, uh, who was his friend. Uh, the one that was, uh, he's kind of cooler. No, not rerun. He was a good dancer. They had that other friend. He said something whenever he came in the room. Hey, huh. <laughs> it sounds like I'm making this show up. Okay. Hey, today on the show, speaking of the 1980s, we are going to be speaking with Tom Higginson. You know him from the Plain White T's. He is the founder, lead singer, guitarist, songwriter of that group that was Grammy-nominated for their song, Hey There, Delilah. You know, he's got a new album coming out, a solo album. Hmm, is his group called—it's not a group.
0: <laughs> Could you say it's a solo album and then say his group is called <laughs> Million Miler? Here's how this works. If, you, if it's not named after you, yeah. it's a group. Okay. Even if you're the only person in it, it's still considered a group, so—
1: Okay. Well, he has a new album coming out where his group, I guess, is called Million Miler. The album's called Millie. And the coolest thing about it is it's in retro 80s synth sound. And it's totally legit. You know, go and buy it. Don't take our word for it. Every song sounds like it could have been in the 1980s. Oh, was I supposed to say something there? Here's the deal. We're doing a podcast. Now, I know you don't listen to any of them, any podcasts. I'm not even sure you listen to our own. Maybe you'd hear there's two guys
0: that have kind of a back and forth sort of thing. Oh, okay. Let me try the back and forth thing then.
1: Every song sounds like it could have been in the
0: 1980s. Uh, Yeah. (laughs)
1: Hey, a few show notes just to give you a heads up. At some point soon, I don't know, you're going to see our name change. Instead of the 80s, it's going to become 1980s now. Other than that, not much is going to change about the show that we're prepared to reveal, I guess, at least. But when the name changes, don't worry. It's still us, okay? But you don't have to do anything else. Just subscribe, and then when the name changes, you're still going to get the show. Yeah. Another thing. This weekend, I will be interviewing live on Facebook for The 80s Ruled. We'll post about this on our, our Facebook pages, but I'll be speaking with Catherine Mary Stewart and Lance Guest, the stars of The Last Starfighter, talking about making that film, talking about what they've been up to, seeing if they know anything about the upcoming sequel. And we'll be taking questions live from the audience, so you're going to want to be involved and bring your questions. All right, I think that's everything there,
0: right? That that sounds like it covers everything.
1: Okay. So hey, let's get caught up on 80s news.
0: <laughs> you know what the best part about 80s news is today? Yeah. What's but <laughs> you sent me a bunch of links. Oh boy. And I didn't read any of them. You know, the most the most I, interesting I'm kind you know. of I'm kind of disappointed in myself. because. Okay. All right. I'm glad you said that. Yes. I I intended to, but I didn't. And now it's too late. Well, I I would say the funny thing about it is, but it's not funny. It is not funny. Is
1: that this was your plan. I said, let's come up with some time-saving things we can do.
0: And you said, one of the things you could do is. (laughs) Is send me links. Send me the links so I could read them. This is how I convinced you that everything yeah. was fine. Yeah. And now with less than
1: 24 hours, because we spoke. Yeah. It was last night, midnight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was about 24 hours ago. I felt good and confident. <laughs> so Ray's plan to make me feel like everything's going to be okay. Didn't last a day. He's going to now try to lie to me about something else, but now I'm on to him. Oh, is going to try to say something? No. <laughs> no. Nope. He's coming up with a new plan to try to assuage my feelings. Nah. It's not going to work. All right. <laughs> Today on 80s News. Hey, you remember that Night Court is getting a reboot. I do remember that. Well, we've got some more information about that, including the fact that we are having this reboot because Melissa Rausch, who you know as Bernadette on The Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. she had a deal with Warner Brothers Television. And one of the things she approached them about was rebooting Night Court because it's a show that she grew up watching and she's a fan. So she had approached them about doing that. They gave her the permission to do that. And so she's been busy along with her husband, Winston, creating the show, Well they didn't have a female lead until she read the script and she decided she wants to star in it herself.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's not a big surprise, right? Or maybe the mortgage bill K do, and she was like, you know, I'll take that job. Well, nope. well once again, you see John Larroquette on board, so yep. Yep. who doesn't want to act with him?
1: Right. So the show is going to be written and executive produced by Dan Rubin, based, of course, on the original characters created by Reinhold Wiege, Who wasn't a fan of Night Court? We've talked about this a few times. It was part Mm. of that power block on Thursdays, like the original must-see TV. I don't think I've missed an episode of it. It ran for nine seasons from 1984 to 1992, earned three Outstanding Comedy Series Emmy nominations. Of course, at the time, it starred Harry Anderson as Judge Harold Harry T. Stone. You know, the sort of uh, quick-witted, silly, magic-using judge of a evening (laughs) court. (laughs) Now, you sound like Captain Kirk. Yeah, I didn't mean that, though. I just didn't know what I was going to (laughs) say. Now, the new character that Melissa Roush is going to play is Abby Stone, the daughter of Harry, who now will follow in her father's footsteps as she presides over the night shift of a Manhattan arraignment court. And just like the original TV show, like you alluded to, we're going to see her, I I don't know, working opposite or working alongside former night court prosecutor Dan Fielding, played by John Larroquette. Now, how could he possibly, how could that character possibly be doing this job for so long? See, I originally thought he would be the judge. Yeah, well, hey, that makes a lot more sense from a, you know, sort of standpoint of the evolution of one's career, a legal career, possibly.
0: And I assumed the dynamic of her being in the position he had Mm. would be the dynamic of this show.
1: Oh, yeah, and you kind of switch it up, right? So now you got a real serious judge. Uh, more, serious, more serious than Harry.
0: I don't think he's more serious. I think he's the same character. Well, but now he's the judge. Well, I mean, yeah, but Dan was more serious than Harry was. Right. Well, yeah, but I think now she is more like Harry, yeah. so it's the flip-flop, which yes. I thought that's what this is going to be. No, it's not. Yeah, no, it's not. That, that would have been interesting, but... S- hmm. huh. it, so why are they so f-ing stupid? That they didn't do your idea? Yeah. <laughs> they, how did they not see the obvious... Thing. maybe they thought it would be like an idea you'd
1: present and then 24 hours later it wouldn't be a good idea anymore
0: <laughs> i don't know maybe
1: uh yeah you know what ask for tomorrow maybe i'll <laughs> flip flop now while night court ran for nine season uh melissa Rouse just coming off of the big bang theory which ran for 12 seasons on cbs
0: yeah and originally i was not on board with this you yep. but i like her So I think her and Larroquette together, I I actually think this is much better than I thought it was going to be. Mm. So now I'm on board. Oh, good. I was trying to remember who is the first celebrity I remember seeing in person
1: and under any circumstances. Hmm. And I was thinking, is it possible it's John Larroquette? Because I was probably 13 or 14 years old when we were in uh, the L.A. area sightseeing and, you know, doing touristy stuff. And we spotted him at a grocery store. My dad pointed up. that's John L.A. I think he was on the show at the time because we were there in, like, 84. Hmm.
0: Yeah, we were there in 84 because it was the year Ghostbusters came out. <laughs> it was so exciting. I guarantee your dad didn't say, that's John L.A. Roquette. I guarantee yeah, I your know. dad said, there's Dan Fielding. Oh, uh, He knows stars. He always
1: amazes me when he— He remembers stars' names from so long ago because he still watches these old movies and TV shows. Hmm. It's just— Whatever. What, what are we talking about tonight? This this is just a
0: weird program so far.
1: Hey, in other 80s news, so check this whoa, whoa, out. Whoa, 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 But you didn't
0: finish the story. That's the end. What do you mean? You saw John Larroquette. No, that's the whole story. And
1: like, oh, yeah, there he is. Oh, you didn't approach him? Oh, no, you don't do that. That's uncouth. Oh. I got to tell you, I think he heard my dad actually say that. Because he gave like a couple sideways looks, and then boom, he was out of there. Wow. So we didn't even have a chance, but we wouldn't have anyway. Because of the first thing I said. Hmm. All right, in other 80s news, according to sci-fi.com, not even Jeff Goldblum is safe from danger on the D&D podcast Dark Dice. So following up with your, you know, theories about Dark Dice. So we talked about Dark Dice last week, which is a podcast that's starting on May 12th. And it's going to include legendary actor Jeff Goldblum playing Dungeons and & Dragons. And so Ray was suggesting that there's no way this guy's improving. For a couple of reasons, including the fact that he knows nothing about D and D, it's not possible. Well, I found out some interesting things, including one that, according to sci-fi in this article, and they do interview the the producer and editor Travis Vengroff, who actually has kind of a D and D name almost now. I think the bad he would, guy. He would be the bad
0: guy yeah. in a Ravenloft um, <laughs> Ra- adventure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So according to this article, it says that Dark Dice is an actual play podcast that uses D&D gameplay to create an immersive semi-improvisational narrative experience. Hmm. Semi-improvisational. Semi. Never. They did. just gave
0: me everything I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: was waiting for it. I said it, said it three times. I it. Yeah, you knew it was coming. Yeah. What they do is, according to this anyway, they edit out the pauses that you naturally get when you're playing D&D, and then they re-record the NPC voices. Which I don't know who they're provided by when they're playing live, but they re record them with trained voice actors hmm. and then they score the whole thing with music. They've got a composer, they've got foley artists where they add sound effects, they have an orchestra with more than thirty medieval instruments and a live forty person choir that sings in Icelandic, Elvish, and more. The show starts on May twelfth, and this time, as I mentioned, includes Jeff Goldblum as Elven Sorcerer Balmer. <laughs> no <laughs> just in
0: disbelief. Train wreck. This is this is I, I'm man. I, I don't. I don't even know what to say. This is garbage. Well, the interviewer asked Vengroff, Is
1: is Goldblum good at playing D anD D? I imagine he's natural at the social and narrative aspects of the game, which is probably more important. But is he good at the mechanics and fighting? And uh, Travis uh, Vengroff, again the producer, goes on to explain how they're using the current edition of D anD D, which is really easy to play, <sighs> even compared to many board games, because it focuses on how creative you are, as opposed to how well you know the rules. Your favorite
0: edition, the fifth <laughs> edition. <laughs> um, f- this guy uh-huh. mm. Jeff Goldblum don't know f- about mm. Dungeons and Dragons. Uh-huh. This is an embarrassment to the game, and I. I You know what? I love Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. But just come out and say (laughs) he don't know shit about it. This is just driving me crazy. I know. I don't understand why. You're just having such a visceral response. Because I love Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And I hate when celebrities come out and treat it like it's Mm. something that they, oh, I know all about Mm. this and I'm going to do this. You know what? you i've been playing this since okay. the, the 80s now you don't have anything against anybody like uh, joe manganello no no that guy plays dungeon dragons yeah. he literally loves the game and he should be on all the shows
1: yeah the final question in the interview is do you have a contingency plan if the dm rolls a crit and kills balmer in the first session are you going to protect goldblum or are there no holds barred and uh, Travis uh, Van says, "As with our first season, I enjoy telling a story that none of us know the outcome of. Rest assured that I will give the challenges our team faces the best possible opportunities to kill the characters,
0: Jeff included. He's a liar, and I I will stand by hmm. the the what is it the silent one? Yeah, the silent one. Yeah, Jeff's the silent one. <laughs>
1: you know, I, look, I I have been disagreeing with you that I, I think he could play because you do you you know you've introduced a lot of people to playing. You can play." You don't have yeah. to know the rules. Someone will help you. You can improvise. He can. Jeff could be a good improviser. But now you're right. I, I am wondering they can't have him get critted in the first or second episode. That would be a big detriment to their whole marketing plan here.
0: I don't even know if I want to listen to this thing now. Yeah. <laughs> well, this 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 goddamn story is irritating <laughs> me. <laughs> he looked like he was about to Hulk smash his God equipment in front of him.
1: <laughs> okay, let's damn, move on man. before anything move on. bad happens. Move on yes, before yes, yes, I break. Yes. F- okay. f-
0: okay. yeah. Let's go. Uh,
1: in other eighties news. This story is uh, been making its rounds around the, I want to say Twitterverse, but actually it was, it was pointed out to me on TikTok, where this hmm. story in particular, this TikTok, which are like these little clips of things, you know, like it's
0: yeah, I, I'm familiar okay. with what the
1: TikTok is. This so. got, oh, I don't really, I'm not, I don't really know. This got over three hundred and fifty-seven thousand likes. It was shared 21,000 times and has had 1500 comments. It's a little clip from a podcast called The Confused Breakfast that does talks about nostalgia things from any era. It seems like they don't aren't specific to the best decade of the 1980s. But this little clip explains that it's possible or likely that Back to the Future and The Goonies took place on the same day. Now, this podcast just came out this episode it's going around all crazy. Like I told you, shared 357 or liked 357,000 times, shared 21,000 times. Now, I came across that this story already was, or this theory was already floated out there last year in October by the Spoiled Blue Milk website.
0: Um, got a comment already? This whole thing. <laughs> well, did you intentionally pick these things just to make me angry? I didn't realize you would be fired out of a cannon. So, no. Now,
1: look, I, I, I thought the Jeff Goblin one was going to be a mix of, ah, I gave you some ammunition. <laughs> but then at the end, you know, that whole thing about him getting critted, uh, that one I, I sided with you on. This one, I thought, look, we, well, let's go over this story real quickly, the theory, right. the theory, okay. rather. And then I'll tell you what I think and why I agree with you. But okay. I. I don't think he'd be furious. So anyway, one thing that just kind of upsets me is the fact that this happens often with a lot of stories. This podcast is talking about it. Now it's going all around crazy. I don't know, you know, unfortunately, probably last fall when Spoiled Blue Milk talked about it, it got, you know, a fraction of the notice, if any at all. And they go into greater detail about why this is possible. Anyway, here's the bottom line. Back to the Future, as we know, took place on Saturday, October 26th, 1985. It's very easy to know that, in the very least, because it's the date that Doc punches into the DeLorean and says, today's date, right? We see it on the DeLorean screen there. Okay. The trickier thing is figuring out when the Goonies took place, but there's some clues in the Goonies, too. And uh, the podcast points out some of these, and Blue Milk goes a little bit further into it. But include, included among those are the fact that when Mouth comes in to, to Mikey and Brand's house, he says, it's the last Goonies weekend. And he also says, because everybody seems all depressed, what is this, a nuclear Saturday or something? So now we know it's a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Then we see Brand, uh, when he's doing his, one of his exercises hanging upside down, there's a calendar behind him that is, says October. That's what it's open to. So now we know it's a Saturday in October. Then when we see them in the restaurant where the Fratellis are hiding out, there's a news clipping that Andy finds on the wall there. And the news clipping has the Fratellis in there. And the date on the newspaper is October 24th, 1985, which was a Thursday. So this is a paper from a few days before the action takes place, which makes sense. So hmm. there you go. It was set October 26th, 1985. Now, this additional note is that, you know, Spielberg produced both of these movies. But after all this effort and the fact that this is getting all this attention on the internet, who cares? It means hmm. nothing. It's, it, it's a coincidence. Even if it's a, not a coincidence, who, who masterminded this? Bob Gale, who wrote the Back to the Future s- script? Uh, did Steven Spielberg set out hmm. to create the most uninteresting Easter egg in, in cinematic history? The stuff that just passes for, I don't know, news of any variety, just that, that frustrates me. It's not, you know, Jeff Goldblum is uh, pretending to know Dungeons & Dragons angry, but... Ah, this is weird. Yep. Yeah. Because
0: now I'm on board with this one. But what are you on board about? That it took place on the same day? Yeah, uh, and you know what? I don't care that it took place on the same day. Right. What does it matter? Exactly. So why is this a story? Because some asshole decided it was important.
1: You know, and look, honestly, probably the thing that's pissing me off is that some podcast reports on this that's not even a story. And they get 21,000 <laughs>
0: shares. <laughs> you know what? I think position office, yeah. we didn't think of it first. <laughs> well, you know what's funny is, what I
1: did do is I quickly looked and checked their ranking. We have the same ranking as them. So they have all these TikTok people sharing this thing. We've got the same ranking. <laughs> nice. So maybe that story was just to uh, break us down and build us back up again. Just like a goonie.
0: <laughs> wow, well, goonies never say die. Yeah. All right, look. Hey, hey, uh, down here, it's our time now. Bef- <laughs> hey, let's emerge from <laughs> this cave where that we're in here, whether
1: it's a D&D cave or a Goonies cave. That was 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. Ugh. And I say that just because I'm afraid. I want to get out into the open air. Maybe the sunlight will help you. You
0: know, this might be my least favorite oh, 80s boy. news we've ever done. Wow, These stories sucked.
1: <laughs> in my defense, I feel like... The mood you're in, I could have done any three stories and we'd have gotten the same exact reaction. You know what? That's, that's probably true. You know, I was earlier today was cleaning out some of our files, you know, to make space for other files. And yeah. to make sure I was deleting the proper ones, talking about shows, I would just listen to a portion of it.
0: And anytime I was angry, you just deleted <laughs> and, it? No, but there were so often, and I've got to get these
1: together, where you say something about something, you know, just a very specific opinion about something. I have no clue what you're talking about. And I have to keep <laughs> listening more and more to figure out like, what episode is this? And it takes a while before I get to like the <laughs> nugget that reveals what you're angry yeah. about or whatever.
0: See, I'm, I, I would assume that I, when I'm angry, I'm pretty straightforward. I'll have to get these clips together. It was interesting. All right. All right. Hey,
1: let's talk to Tom Higginson. No, you can't do it like oh, that. Oh, no. What do I got to do? No, you, you have to do it in a professional okay. manner. All right, in a moment, we'll be right back with our guest today,
0: Tom Higginson. That's much better. All right, thank you. Once again, it's time for... A <laughs> couple,
2: couple, couple of idiots. A <laughs> Idiot.
0: <laughs> couple,
2: couple, couple of idiots.
1: Our guest today is the founder and frontman, composer and guitarist of the Plain White Tees. Their song, Hey There Delilah, was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in 2007 and won the Teen Choice Awards for Choice Summer Song that same year. In 2008, their hit track was nominated for two Grammy Awards, including Song of the Year and Best Pop Performance, while the band was nominated for the American Music Awards New Artist of the Year. In 2018, our guest's track, BFF, written for the Broadway musical SpongeBob SquarePants, won the Outer Critics Circle Award for Outstanding New Score, alongside Cyndi Lauper, They Might Be Giants, Steven Tyler, and the other talented artists that contributed music to the production. Our guest's new solo project, Million Miler, has just released Millie an album full of synth-driven original songs, any one of which could have been downloaded straight from our favorite decade. You can find it on Apple Music and everywhere else. And if you visit humanswerehere.com, you can purchase unique 80s themed merchandise along with the album. Please welcome to the show Tom Higginson. Hello, hello.
2: Hi, guys.
1: And look, he's wearing a Chicago 85 Bears uh, shirt. Now, I know you mentioned you got this in a said a thrift store, but how, I mean, how is it that a thrift store we even have this? This seems confounding that it would be around for so long.
2: Well, I will say that, you yeah. know, when, when Chicago sports, you know, when we have our glory, which is not very often, yeah. <laughs> I feel like, you know, there's, there's a whole lot. I, I, I mean, I guess I can't really speak for other cities, but I feel like, like when the Cubs just won the world series, you know, a few years ago in 2016, Yeah. I mean, you couldn't walk into a grocery store without getting, you know, hit over the head with Cubs merchandise. And, you know, I think we <laughs> sure. go a little harder. Oh, well, I guess I should, like I said, I can't really speak for other cities, but, you know, there was probably like 5 million of these shirts made in 1985. Oh. So <laughs> there's, there's a few around if, if you look for them, I guess.
1: <laughs> so statistically speaking, yeah, odds are you'll find one. Exactly. We
0: don't know what it's like to win in Cleveland, do we, Ray? I, I don't know. Nah, so yeah. Nah, yeah, I'm a Cleveland so, fan. So
1: yeah, I don't know. I,
0: I haven't. A- Experienced a whole lot of it over the years, so
1: I've never seen a Cleveland's champion shirt. Anything? Oh no, that's not. True. Yeah, she did. <laughs> the Cavs. the Cavs shirts, yeah. Yeah, you got LeBron. One. You had LeBron there, so
2: you know that was a big one.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So hey, we're excited to talk to you today because uh, not only are you uh, an '80s kid, but <laughs> your most recent work is. If you didn't tell me, I could honestly believe that these tracks were produced, created, released in the 1980s. I mean, some of them are just. Oh yeah! Yeah, you
2: know. I love that. see that's that's the goal, of course. You know, that's awesome.
1: So I guess I'd like to trace the path of how you arrived at making an 80s styled you know, synth-driven album, you know, especially when you had already found success with the Plain White Tees, which had a different sound. Um, So as an 80s kid, and uh, if the internet is to be believed, you just make it into Gen X. Uh, As an 80s kid, what was the earliest pop culture you recall uh, connecting to?
2: Um, Okay, so I was born in 1979. So technically, I do count as an 80s kid, right? Um, Even though I guess my, my first memories, I actually do remember, you know, we talked about the 85 bears. I do remember that year my dad was a big Bears fan and every, every weekend, every Sunday, I made a little drawing for him oh. of like the Bears logo versus whoever they were playing. <laughs> and you know, they won every game that season, except for one. So I kind of feel as though I can take responsibility <laughs> for that 85 season. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's another thing about, about Chicago sports fans. We're very superstitious. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, I did that, that one year, that's gotta be why they won. You know?
1: <laughs> I you, um, your so dad yeah, being like, that, Tommy, you need to make that drawing, huh? Come exactly. on, get on that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I get grounded if I don't do the drawing in time. <laughs> no, but that, so that's honestly one of my earliest memories is uh, watching the bears with my dad and making those drawings and that 85 season being such an important one for him and, because he was so excited and he was so into it, you know, that meant something to me as a kid. And um, you know, that same year, 85, I mean, come on, you know, you got the Goonies, which is to this day, one of my all time favorite movies. Um, I make an annual pilgrimage with, with my son to Astoria um, to, you Mm -hmm. know, kind of partake in some of the Goonies stuff they have going on there every year. You got back to the future that summer. sure. But uh, yeah, 85 was like, I think, You know, when I think back one of the first year, because I mean, at that point, I'm what, six, you know, five turning six. You know, that's kind of when your first memories are, I think, anyway, right? Like right around that time.
1: I always find this fascinating. So, you know, Ray and I were born in in the early 70s. So for us, our Star Wars was Star Wars. But I always found it interesting, like for other folks who were born, you know, uh, before or after that. What was their Star Wars? Was would it have been Goonies? Or, so, and again, I say that because I was about six or seven when I saw the first one in the theaters. You know,
2: Goonies and Back to the Future were like the two defining movies of my childhood for sure. But I will say Goonies was always always one out over Back to the Future, just because it was kid, It was like you know, kids that were just a few years older than me at the time. Yeah. So it was like I could really relate to them. And the whole story, you know, back to the future, what an amazing storyline and very, so imaginative, but come on, the Goonies, it's like they're going <laughs> on an adventure in their own little town to save their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to move away from each other. It was just, it's like, it's really the perfect. And I mean, I'm sure you guys doing a, you guys are doing an eighties <laughs> podcast. I'm sure that yeah. this movie gets talked about a lot. So yeah. nothing you haven't already heard, but it really is the, uh, You know, the perfect, not only 80s movie, but also just kids, you know, kids of any age, of any era, I feel like can relate and always love the Goonies.
0: I think I figured out that all of his music has been influenced by the Super Bowl shuffle, (laughs) Cyndi Lauper, and Huey Lewis and the News.
1: Nailed I mean you
2: can pretty <laughs> much trace it all back to those three things. I agree wholeheartedly.
1: <laughs> you mentioned you go to Astoria every year, and we're talking about Astoria, Oregon, where the where the goondocks was a film or you know, standing for the goondocks. I had read not too long ago that the folks that live there now are really protective. They have the road that leads up to it blocked off. And I think you're allowed to walk up there if you're respectful. Otherwise, you know, someone comes out with a shotgun and you know. <laughs> yeah, you know,
2: you're not you you're not allowed to walk up to the house anymore um you know but but i mean the just being in the town it feels like you're in the 80s still you know Mm -hmm. because it's this quaint little seaside town it's wild that in the movie you know you have such a a, you know like a strong imagery and recollection of astoria Mm -hmm. but they're Mm -hmm. really only in astoria for about the first you know 15 minutes of the movie and then they go underground and then it's all like you know, Hollywood sets or whatever, but it's enough just that house alone. And just the, the, the bond between them and their love, the whole movie is about saving their town and their neighborhood. So it's like the town itself takes on such a bigger, uh, you know, a bigger role than just seeing a couple little, little landmarks in the first, you know, 13 minutes of the movie.
1: You know, as an adult, it occurs to me and we, I've watched it with my kids, not too long ago, we watched it again. As an adult, it occurs to me that some of the plot points, and forget about the fantasy elements, but some of the, the practical plot points make no sense. Okay, are they saving like everybody's mortgage? Is everyone getting foreclosed on at the same time? Is there one landowner who's, I don't know, it's confusing to me now <laughs> having a mortgage on my house myself. That whole that part of it is the least believable to me.
2: There's some moments of, in, of the movie that I... Like that bother me. And they're very subtle. Like, for example, when Andy walks the plank, you know, yep. and then Mama Fratelli, you know, she's kind of pushing her out with the sword. Right. And right. she falls off and Brand goes in, and jumps in to rescue her. Right. And he literally runs up to Mama Fratelli, who's standing on the plank right, and says, like, look out. <laughs> yeah. And jumps past her. It's like, <laughs> why didn't you just knock her her ass off you know what i mean like she just tried to kill your (laughs) girl moments like that i'm like oh come on but other than that perfect perfect movie
1: yeah absolutely of course they had to cut out that fighting the octopus scene you know
2: i know uh, i know i love that and i love that they it's like a the stuff of legend now yeah because the line is still in the movie so it's like yeah
1: you think just data is making up stories now but right yeah
2: true yeah
1: so, and, and what about uh, music from the 1980s?
2: So obviously, like, uh, you know, like Ray said, in those movies, you've got Huey Lewis, Power of Love. You've got mm-hmm. Cindy Lauper, uh, Good Enough, you know, which are to this day, some of my favorites. But I remember um, around the house, my mom always playing like Michael Jackson's Thriller. Mm. And then, of course, Bad once that came out. Uh, Pat Benatar was played a lot in mm. my, my house growing up. Uh, Carol King, you know, that, those are some of my main, you know, Michael Jackson was obviously a big deal as a mm. kid. Like sure. just those videos and everything he did was just such a spectacle. And then, you know, going into other, other 80s movies that I love, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where he does (laughs) twist and shout on, in the parade, you know? And so then you had that kind of a thing. I got really into uh, oldies as well, Mm. like music from like the fifties and sixties. I loved the movie stand by me. Another one of my top, top 10, you know, all time movies. And of course that was set in the fifties. So you had the, and then back to the future also had the fifties, like Johnny Be Good or whatever, you know? And uh, so, yeah, so I went from like, loving 80s music, growing up with that in the house to like seeing these blips of like the 50s and oldies and then getting really into that kind of music. And honestly, that led kind of into Plain White Tees because mm-hmm. when we started the band, we were very, like the name of the band, Plain White Tees, is, is a nod to the 50s, wow, you know, with gosh. that like style-wise. And we, a lot of our early early songs especially uh, were written in that, you know, it's kind of throwback you know, like a modern version of like a fifties, like, you know, kind of like the way I guess like a lot of pop punk sure. kind of took a nod from those, like even the Ramones were just mm-hmm. basically doing beach Boy songs, just really fast, really fast you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's kind of how the band started and that's how the lineage, you know, it's funny to think 20 years ago when I started playing white Tees, yep. I was inspired by the fifties and it just lived through the eighties. <laughs> mm. And now 20 years <laughs> later, I'm doing million miler. Wow. Which is inspired by the 80s. I don't know. Right. Maybe my life is just some weird cycle or something. I don't know.
0: That means in 20 years from now, yeah, let's say do the math. The plain white tees will be his inspiration for his albums then.
2: Huh. Ah, wow.
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What
2: yeah. the hell is that going to sound like? I don't know.
0: Hopefully, just a reunion
1: tour.
2: Yeah, there you
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a lot of times on the show about how the 80s was connected to the 1950s. And a lot right. of it was because of. The folks that were in power at that, you know, in the 80s were the folks that grew up in the 50s. So they were nostalgic for that, you know, and so on and so forth. But it is interesting that we're kind of are caught in this loop where we're nostalgic for when we grew up. But that was related to the thing earlier and that. It's, oh, someone, oh, someone posted something recently. I can't remember what film it was. Oh, oh I know what it was. It was um, That 70s Show. They said That 70s Show came out in the 90s, talking about an era that was just 20 years earlier. So if they did something like that today, it would be about the 2000s. And there's something that I thought, well, what's so iconic about the look and sound about it that you could do that even? I don't know that you could, but the 50s, the 80s, still going into the 90s, you know, it seems like, I don't know, it starts to get a little fuzzier as you you get out there though.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because of pop culture, I think, you know, the more and more time goes, I kind of feel like it's all good and you can kind of see little Little 80s bits, little 90s bits, little 2000s bits, 70s like kind of in everything, you know. So it's almost like getting like a like a gentrification of the decades or something in a weird way, you know. Um, but I will say because uh, I, I, I think about these things all the time. When you were saying about the 80s, you know, kind of throwing it back to the 50s, and nowadays we're kind of in the in a have a love for the 80s. I feel like there was something like about the the simple like like the 50s were like the, the like the last i don't know like and i don't want to say simple but like there was something kind of simple and wholesome and fun about them lighthearted and then you had the 60s with jfk and then you know vietnam and all of the all of these things kind of it took a, it took a turn and then pop culture followed you know with the music and everything getting a little bit more political and serious And then the Mm -hmm. seventies, of course, I feel like got even darker because it was dealing with the, you know, the, you know, the shadows of all of that stuff that happened in the sixties. And then in the eighties, it was like, uh, it was, I don't know why, but maybe just technology was kind of hitting MTV, you know, the synthesizer, whatever it was, but it was like, there was a moment of happiness and fun again. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like then you had the you know, the nineties, which took a turn again, I don't know, Kurt Cobain killing himself or just grunge in general. Yeah. And everybody was sad. And, you know, Seattle was like, everybody loves Seattle and it was just rainy and like nasty. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what the mood was. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then like two thousands were a bit of like coming out of that. So now that we're in like the, I don't know, now it's like we're looking back to the last, the last era of like purity and and joy you know, if that makes any
1: sense. Yeah, it does. I don't know. I guess to your point, one of the things that's been, look, and I'm going to sound like an old man. I know that. And I think about when my parents, when I listened to hip hop in the 80s, they were like, this is garbage. It's not going to last. <laughs> and I'm thinking, your parents said this about rock and roll. Don't you see what's happening here? But here I am doing it anyway. New music today, to your point, for the most part. And I think about, you know, your 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 many songs on your, you know, eight studio albums that it's an exception. And I, th- I think, that most of it is this kind of, is getting darker and darker. Like even hip hop today, which in the eighties, you know, during the heyday of it, the golden era, which was, they could sing about, you know, stuff that was really happening in the streets, but they could have ridiculous, silly songs too. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, everything is just so, such a, you know, let's look at the top 10 songs or the top 40. It's like, everything seems like a bummer to me. Yeah. Really bumming me
2: out. Yeah. There's a weird, um, especially, yeah, like you're saying in hip hop, there's like a emo like a sadness to a lot of it or something, you know, I think a lot of the the hip hop kids right now are being inspired by kind of the, and maybe, maybe this is what we're talking about, but that music of like the two thousands where it was kind of that emo punkish thing. And I think somehow that bled into hip hop. And so I feel like a lot of the hip hop right now is that it's like a, yeah, an emo hip hop so there is like, yeah, a real sadness to a very minor key and just, yeah, like you said, dark. Yeah. I agree.
1: Yeah. I was curious thinking about what you said, how the eight, you know, all these music's often a reaction or reflection of what's going on or rejection of like punk rock was a clear rejection of in many ways, mm-hmm. what September 11th was going to do to music that followed. Cause you're right. In the nineties we had, you know, sort of things were getting a little maybe more cynical and, and darker. And then September 11th happened. And I, I wonder if we're on this sort of long sort of, you know, Almost sort of a path since that. Hmm. You know, that's That's interesting,
2: sure. Because
0: we've had generations born since that now, then, you know. Yeah, you know what's weird about this that I just realized? After 9 11, country music is the only one that got into the whole God Bless America thing and then came right out of that back into party songs.
1: Oh, I see. Hmm. Saying they paused for a moment to say God Bless America and then they got back to party. They
0: they were the only ones who didn't get sad. They were like, let's go (laughs) blow up. And then the, let's go back to party. <laughs> I guess,
1: yeah, I guess so. Interesting.
2: I wonder how the pandemic, you know, oh, yeah. like what the heck is going to be the results of that? You know, like, <laughs> I feel like there's going to be some reflective music coming out in the, you know, in the near future, just because everybody's kind of had that time to, uh, to just sit around and do nothing but kind of think and and, and have to adapt and everything. Right. But I kind of feel like I wonder if it's going to get to a happy place, you know, once we get past the pandemic and everybody gets vaccinated and people start, you know, going out again. I feel like it's going to feel so good Mm. when, you know, when we finally kind of gotten past this, I know we're, you know, knock on wood, kind of slowing, slowly getting over that hump, I feel Mm. like with just vaccinations and stuff. But I kind of feel like, yeah, like the roaring twenties, like Mm. we might have a a lot of fun music coming out in the next few years as things, as we're allowed to have fun again.
0: Uh, I'm expecting a lot of, since everybody's had like a year and a half to write new albums, I'm expecting a lot of like, Sergeant Peppers <laughs> come concept out. albums, concept albums, and just a lot of really weird stuff, Opera. rock operas.
2: I agree. I think it's going to be a lot, like I said, kind of introspective, like a lot of like, like, uh, you know, because I don't think anybody was writing any party songs this year, you know, mm-hmm. it was all about like, my, I miss people. I miss my life. You know, I'm sad about this or I'm, you know, hopeful or something. But I think that's going to be yeah, the next year or two will be that, and then I think it's really going to get to a very a much happier place. Pretty soon, I think.
1: Um, I guess you make me think of a couple of things, but I don't. But I don't want to go too far without saying, it seems like Parallel Universe was maybe you already starting to take those sort of steps towards you know playing more with synths. You know, you still had uh, it was more of more of a I guess a nexus between you know your. Sounds in the past and sort of maybe going towards ultimately, you know, what you're where you're at now. Were you already thinking that you were going to get to a point where you'd have an all synth album? Yeah, I
2: mean, that's a that's a really great observation because it wasn't necessarily then when I was thinking about doing Million Miler, but it was kind of a direct like response to that parallel universe album. Um, you know, with that, with that album, we definitely did push ourselves. And that's a Plain White Tease album, by the way, for anyone right. listening, the last album the Plain White Tees put out was in 2018 called Parallel Universe. And yeah, we pushed ourselves, uh, to just kind of explore a little bit and get, try working with a little bit more like synthetic elements. We had some, you know, uh, a lot of beats and a lot of, um, you know, like program beats and a lot of synth little moments and things like that. But of course it was still anchored in plain white tees, you know, guitar, acoustic, a lot of that was still prevalent, Mm. but yeah, it was that. And then it was like, you know, after that, we put out that album, that was kind of an album that we made because we thought it was cool. And we were just, Mm. you know, not really worrying about, you know, you, you never try to worry about what the fans are going to think. You always want to like, the more honest you are, usually the more it reacts or, you know, it, it connects to people. So you can't really, you can't really base your creativity on trying to connect or trying to sell, you know, it's like, you get, it's the opposite. Um, mm-hmm. But after making that album, it definitely was like, okay, like this is about as far as we should go with plain white tees. It's almost like, you know, we have, we know what people love. We know what, what our wheelhouse is, what our strengths are. Mm-hmm. Like we should probably just play to those and, that kind of cuts out a lot of those elements of the, of the synth and the, those elements that, that come from a, a synthesizer basically. Mm. So, but that's where my passion is right now. I've been just super, I mean, ever since, I mean, I, I never really left the eighties because like I said, Goonies <laughs> is, has been my favorite movie ever since I was a kid ever since my son has been born you know uh, his the, uh, the day we brought him home from the hospital i i put on the goonies because i wanted that to be his first movie you know <laughs> in life and so yeah he's always been you know I, i've enjoyed the moments of like like okay he's 4 years old he has never heard michael jackson before mm-hmm. this is thrilling you know like like just giving him these uh always kind of tying it to that, to my, the important things of my childhood, right, I guess, yeah. you know, I'm basically trying to relive my own childhood through him or something. And then right in the middle of, of it, Stranger Things comes out, which was such an important moment. And, um, like I got, I must've gotten at least 11 different text messages within that week of Stranger Things coming out from the most random different people in my life saying like, hey, you would love this show. Mm, You've got to watch this show. And I didn't have Netflix or anything. I'm like, what are they? You know, the first time I saw it, I'm like, what the hell are they talking about? And (laughs) as I got more and more, I'm like, okay, (laughs) I've got to look. I've got to see what this is. And of course, watched the whole season and like fell in love with it. And then that kind of led me to, to start listening to some synth wave music, which, you know, is kind of like a... You know, it's a little bit of an underground genre that's been happening. I'm sure it's been happening much longer than I've been paying attention, yeah. Um. but it's kind of been swelling up a little bit, you know, with this a little bit of an 80s, 80s resurgence and aesthetic, you know, so that made me want to just start a full on new project. And like you said at the beginning, like make an album that sounds like, damn, this could have come out in 1986 or something, you know? Um, so that's just what I did. And, and that next, I think it was in, yeah, probably that spring of 2018 is when I started messing with the idea of doing a side project and coming up with some tracks and, um, a couple of the songs that are already out, uh, high school summer, take a chance on me. Uh, and actually the latest song I just put out about two weeks ago called never say die, which what? by the way, obviously, yeah. <laughs> Goonies homage there. Yes. Um, but those all three of those songs were started in a matter of like two days uh, in the spring of like 2018. So. So, yeah. And I've just kind of went from there. Once I started dabbling, it was like, OK, there's no turning back. Like, yeah. I'm I'm just going for it. Yeah.
1: And of course, we're talking about some of the tracks from Millie, the first album from Million Miler, which was just released on May 10th. It's a Tom's solo project that we've been talking about, of course. It's
0: available anywhere. Go out and get it. Yeah, you need to fix your Spotify page then. Well, uh, what? Because it says on May 10th, it comes out on vinyl.
2: Well, it is coming out on vinyl, mm-hmm. but I don't know, of course, I don't know if you guys have ever, I'm sure... Probably haven't had to press any vinyl, but there's always (laughs) some ridiculous delay. It takes, I don't know why it takes like six months to make a goddamn vinyl, but (laughs) it always does.
0: Wait till you start trying to get those cassettes made.
2: Mm. I already got, the cassettes actually are supposed to be here on Tuesday.
0: Oh, wow. That's, That's pretty good then.
2: I know, I know.
1: I so you could just dub those off in your garage if you need to. You get one of those double, de- that's how we did it in the 80s.
2: Well, I have, so that's another merch item yeah. is the bootleg cassette.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, so okay. this is
2: kind of fun. That's cool. uh, when I announced the album yeah. three months mm-hmm. ago, one of the pre-order items, you know, you could pre-order the vinyl and the, the actual cassette tape and the, the fanny pack and the t-shirt and everything oh, else. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> that's um, funny. But one of the things was a bootleg tape. That I make right here in my living room on an old boombox, and I literally say like, you know, hey, what's up, Will? It's Tom. Thanks so much for getting the album. No way. And then I, I, you know, and then I, I, you know, it's a tape of the of the whole album, and you get sent, you get it right, right. when you, you know, the next the week after you order it, so you get the album months before anybody else can hear it. I right. thought that was such a cool idea. And like because it's my own project and my own out on my own label, I kind of don't have to ask anybody permission. So I was like, hell yeah, that's
1: cool. (laughs) That is a fantastic. (laughs) That's awesome. They just got to add a hand a handwritten a hand uh, written label, you know, with the no
2: exactly yeah. I write it all by hand. I'm kidding. You know, write the person's name on there too, sign it and everything. Yeah.
1: The quality's got to be terrible though. You got to make sure it's terrible quality. Then it's a real bootleg.
2: I mean, that's the idea. It is kind of a crappy, you know, it's an old boombox. So there are definitely, some some tapeness going yeah. on for sure. But I figure that's, yeah, that just adds to the charm. Right? Do you
1: do it with the Dolby yeah, on or the Dolby off? I don't even
2: think Dolby's an option okay. on this. So
1: I never really knew what to do with that when I was a kid. <laughs> so yeah, a million mile early, yeah. There' no joke. You listen to any one of these tracks, and you'd swear it came straight out of the 1980s. I love, I love the 80s connections, even beyond just the sound. Like, like you pointed out, um, it, some of the artwork is, all of the artwork is fantastic. How throwbacks, the throwbacks it is. But um, the one has a reimagining of the Goonies poster with you replacing Brand's character. That looks perfect. Yeah. That's fantastic. I
2: mean. I was blown away. So basically our, the graphic artist that we work with, uh, her name is Lizzie. She's actually in one of the art, other uh, groups that are on, on the, la- I have a record label called humans were here. Right. And so Lizzie is in a group called Fairview that's also on the label and she just happens to be just a baller wow. graphic artist. And so we were kind of brainstorming and she does all the million miler artwork. And so we were brainstorming about never say die and it was like, oh, you know, it'd be really cool is to just fricking throw me in the cover, you know, in the poster <laughs> of the Goonies, you know, and 20 minutes later, she sends me that. And I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, how did you do that? Cause it, yeah. it's like, it looks all drawn out. Like it, it's done perfectly. It's so kick-ass how she did it. So oh, yeah, man. that was, that was a home run for sure.
1: Yeah. I did, uh, you know, again, look, we could really nerd it out here, but, um, well, I guess I'll put it to you this way. So when you're crafting something, and you, you could have gone any number of different ways. You could have just done a synth album that's all synths that sounded like it was from any era. Certainly, like you're pointing out, uh, synth music is, is, is very popular right now. And contemporary, synth music has a different sound. They're using a different choice of synths, and how they use the synths is different. For you, what is it that makes it sound like in... Like, what is... Can you boil down or... or, or Share some of those elements that you 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 know you looked to include that you knew musically would uh, I don't know would uh, you know give give us that sense of the 1980s.
2: Yeah, that feel capture that vibe. Yeah. Um, I don't really know that it's necessarily like a uh, anything I I I did on purpose. Mm. I just yeah. feel like I listened to a ton of 80s music. Right. Um, there's also there's a there's a, a club in Los Angeles called Breakroom '86. That I that right around the same time in probably 2015 or 16, that um, stranger things, you know, I started get, getting into stranger things, I literally, I'm not even like stumbled into this bar on accident hmm. because a bar, I was hanging out with a friend and she wanted to go to some bar and it was like closed for some weird renovation or something. So we're like walking down the street, there's this neon sh- neon sign in like an alleyway. And we're like, should we try? Like, what is this? Like, well, let's just go grab a drink. And we freaking stumbled into this bar called Break Room 86. And no joke, ever since that day, anytime I'm in LA, I I drag everybody who's with me out to this bar. It is the best night of your life every time you go. And what it is, it's like a, it's a speakeasy. Like, it's kind of like a little secret passage to get in. Every you get in there and then they're just blasting 80s hits on like a modern, awesome sound system. People are kind of dressed up cool like the 80s. Everybody's just <laughs> dancing like my friends who are like the the squarest like Chicago in, you know, people that are coming to visit me in L.A. or something. I bring them to this bar and they're <laughs> f- they're dancing. They're like going crazy. Like it, it just brings out. Wow. <laughs> the fun and like the the kid in you almost. Mm. It's just a really magical place. There's a cover band that plays there every every Wednesday that is like literally like garage rock, like the strokes, but they do all the all 80s hits. So it's like the coolest sh- you've ever heard. It's so badass.
1: Is that Dean Cameron's bag who does a band that does uh karaoke that, what, a, karaoke? That, no, like the Steel Panther no. guys?
2: <laughs> they're called the Good Time Boys. Oh, okay. Ah. And mm. they're like Legit, one of my favorite bands of all time. They're unbelievable. I love them. But anyway, so um, where, where the hell was I going? Oh, so then, yeah. <laughs> yep. So because of all of these like Stranger Things and then finding this Break Room 86 place, like I just started compiling uh, an 80s playlist on Spotify for myself. It was just called Break Room 86, which is on the Million Miler Spotify page oh, if anybody cool. wants to go. There's about, I don't even know, eight hours of music or something at this point on there.
1: I'm going to listen to that, yeah.
2: but it's like, it's just, it's just all the, you know, there's a couple that I'm missing that maybe aren't my favorite 80s. So I'm trying to keep it, you know, all songs that I love from the 80s, mm. you know, but it's a great playlist. But the point is to get to your question is I just listen, I've been listening to a ton of 80s music over the past few years. So I think just my, my natural instincts, because it's all just so fresh in my mind Are with my own music to just kind of take it to those places you know what Mm, I mean
1: yeah if that
2: makes any sense like you know finding dialing through synth sounds you're right there's a ton there's there's endless possibilities but it's like some yeah some just don't feel right some feel a little too modern some feel you know a little too dead or whatever so then when you dial up something where you're like oh this this hits my Mm. ear in that that, uh, you know, that sweet spot or whatever that, rem- that brings me back or that makes me feel like those songs that I love. And then yeah. that's what we go with. It's yeah. yeah. It's just all, all just kind of like instinct and feeling.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I thought it was probably a little more calculated than that just cause you seem to nail <laughs> it so well, you know, with the little arpeggios and the pads and sort of a long decay on those synth chords. And,
0: and I sure. swear well, on, thank on,
1: when uh, on take a chance, uh, on me, you know, when I heard take, and then I hear the bass start and I think, well, that sounds like a DX seven, which I think is what aha used on take take me, take on me. And I'm like <laughs> Take oh, On yeah. Me? Yeah. Similar BPM, similar rhythm pat but now it makes sense here. You sort of incepted yourself and just like as a supercomputer, you just, you know, sort of it comes out in the and that sounds too uh technical maybe, but obviously you, divine inspiration, you know, strikes and yeah, just totally, comes out. Yeah. yeah.
2: Cause yeah, you literally, you can scroll through those sounds for hours and it's like, there's endless possibilities. So yeah, we did zero research. If that's what you're kind of asking. It was like, cool, let's dot me and my producer buddy. Yeah, It's like, cool. Let's just dial through. And when something sounds good, then it's like, okay, cool. Let's just go with that. And then Mm -hmm. let's keep, you know, like there wasn't a lot of, um, I don't want to say a lot of effort put in because obviously there's, you know, it, there was a lot of effort, Sure. but it was, uh, it was very fun. Mm. And it wasn't like too, you know, too like, okay, we didn't dwell on things too long. It was like, either it felt awesome or it didn't, mm. you know what I mean? And if it didn't, then it's like, ah, uh, let me think about that lyric or let me like, let's mess around with that sound. It's not really hitting where I want it to you know, like there's a new song. Actually, I just wrote a a new million miler song. So it's funny. I'm already writing before the album even comes out the next album, but it's funny. I have this awesome synth, but it kind of has this like warble to it. And I played it for my son. Uh, and he's like, he's like, this is like my favorite song of yours. And he's like, but you've got to get rid of that laser. And I'm like, laser, what the hell are you talking about? There's like There's three things in the whole track right now. I'm like, there's no laser. He's like, yeah, it's like, and I'm like, oh, it's that synth because it has kind of a warble. So I might have to go back and and mess with that sound a little bit just to get my son's approval. But yeah, but that's about as much, you know, calculation and thought goes into it. It's much more just like, you know, this feels cool. So just go with it.
0: Right. If you had to pick one song on the album that's your favorite, what would you pick?
2: Damn, that is freaking tough. You know, it's another thing with just creating in general, like with from Plain White Tees, you know, or anything, you never every song that you write, you kind of feel the same about like it could be total but in that creative moment, you're like, I've done it again. This is the best song of all time, you know? And it's, it's not until you play it for other people where you really get a vibe, yeah. you know, like, like even, not even like what they, their reaction, it's like yeah. just pushing play
1: mm.
2: instantly. Like, you're like, Ooh, that line or ooh, mm. that freaking, you know, we got to tighten up that little drum filler, you know, just like mm-hmm. stupid things like that. Like you, you become so much more critical the second you hit play for someone else, you know? Mm -hmm. So I will say the, the song, she ain't coming back on the album. That is one that has gotten, uh, I've gotten a very strong reaction from, from, you know, my, my circle and people that I trust musically that, that, you know, it's like, Hey, what's your, you know, they've all kind of reached out almost without me even asking about that one, you know? So Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan, uh, the very first song on the album, the album starts out with a little intro and then it kind of goes into the, uh, uh, you know, the first real song. It's called Something to Look Forward To. Mm. And I feel like that is possibly my favorite song on the album. And I don't know that it would be a single. or I don't, I don't know that it would be a fan favorite. But right now with not a lot of people hearing that. That's one that I I really love. It it definitely captures the like a Michael Jackson quality mm-hmm. that a lot of the other songs don't really touch on, but yet still has almost as like a Phil Collins kind of vocal thing happening mm-hmm. in the chorus. Like a I don't know that song just really that was I, I feel like when we that was like our the most like holy f- when we finished that <laughs> one, out of any song on the record. Oh
0: wow. Yeah. Before we recorded today, uh, me and Will both agreed that we liked She Ain't Coming Back the best. I of yeah. the ones we've heard. But no now, kidding. yeah, now we have something to look forward to. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote that one in the pandemic, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. Obviously, I wrote most of these songs during the pandemic. So, yeah, that was like early on. It was like, you know, just just you. The chorus is you give me something to look forward to. Like, in other words, I can't can't wait to see you again. Kind of a thing. Mm but it's definitely done in a very like upbeat and fun, you know, 80s way. Um but yeah, maybe that's why it holds a little bit more more water for me just because it actually was like a very real sentiment at that moment, you know, like I think we were all kind of going through that same that same thought and that same feeling.
1: Wow. Only an 80s kid could have written this the way you have, especially to hear that, you know, you, again, you sort of just absorbed all the things that you loved growing up as far as music goes. And it just came out pouring out and it's clear. Thank you so much, Tom, because again, the album is fantastic. And it's definitely, I won't even say an homage to the 80s because it could have come straight out of the decade that we love. And much like in the 1980s as well, the music oftentimes provided lighter moments to some of the stuff that was going on during that decade. So thank you very much, Tom. We appreciate your time today.
2: Yeah, it was awesome hanging with you guys. Thanks for thanks for hanging, talking about the record, and and talking about Goonies and all things <laughs> '80s. This was awesome.
1: Wow, I thought we were going to talk about how an '80s kid was inspired to create an '80s you know sounding album, but I guess it makes sense that he would be so much into every other aspect of '80s pop culture. But boy, and what a coincidence! We did that Goonies story earlier today. And that dude knows a lot about the Goonies. Oh, we should have asked him about the Goonies uh, theory. No, no, no. Better that we didn't. You might have gone off again. What? Why would I go off on him? <laughs> nah, he he <laughs> slayed, man. Yeah. He was right. awesome. Yes, he was great. But
0: I don't know if we proved anything about the 1980s though. You know uh, that we have proven, we, okay, beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's confident. Wow. That Tom Higginson mm-hmm. is absolutely. 100% you know, 80s. Put that on
1: the liner
0: notes, Tom. <laughs> All
1: right, Hey, we will talk to you next time
0: on the 80s. See ya.